Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. This morning we are uh, continuing series looking at the names given to the coming Messiah from Isaiah chapter 9. And I thought I would start this morning by reading from a great 20th century theologian, um, a reading of his entitled, Yertle the Turtle. On the faraway island of Salamasand, Yertle the turtle was king of the pond. A nice little pond. It was clean. It was neat. The water was warm and there was plenty to eat. The turtles had everything turtles might need and they were all happy, quite happy indeed. They were until Yertle, the king of them all, decided the kingdom he ruled was too small. I'm ruler, said Yertle, of all that I see, but I don't see enough. That's the trouble with me. With this stone for a throne, I look down on my pond, but I cannot look down on the places beyond. This throne I sit on is too, too low down. It ought to be higher, he said with a frown. If I could sit high, how much greater I'd be. What a king, I'd be ruler of all I can see. So Yertle the turtle king lifted his hand, and Yertle the turtle king gave a command. He ordered nine turtles to swim to his stone, and using these turtles he built a new throne. He made each turtle stand on another one's back, and he piled them up high on a nine-turtle stack. Then Yertle climbed up and sat down on the pile. What a wonderful view. He could see most a mile. All mine, Yertle cried. Oh, the things I now rule. I am king of a cow. I am king of a mule. I'm king of a house, and what's more beyond that, I'm king of a blueberry bush and a cat. I'm Yertle the turtle. Oh, marvelous me. For I am the ruler of all that I see. And all through that morning he sat there up high saying over and over, A great king am I. Until long about noon when he heard a faint sigh. What's that? snapped the king. And he looked down the stack. And he saw at the bottom a turtle named Mac. Just part of his throne. And this plain little turtle looked up and he said, Beg your pardon, King Yertle. I have pains in my back and my shoulders and knees. How long must we stand here, your majesty, please? Silence, the king of the turtles barked back. I'm king and you're only a turtle named Mac. You stay in your place while I sit here and rule. I'm king of a cow. I'm king of a mule. I'm king of a house and a bush and a cat. And that isn't all. I'll do better than that. My throne shall be higher, the royal voice thundered. So pile up more turtles. I want about 200. Turtles, more turtles, he bellowed and brayed, and turtles way down on the pond were afraid. They trembled, they shook, but they came, they obeyed. From all over the pond they came swimming by dozens, whole families of turtles with uncles and cousins, and all of them stepped on the head of poor Mac. One after another they climbed up the stack. Then Yertle the turtle perched up so high, he could see 40 miles from his throne in the sky. Hooray, shouted Yertle, I am king of the trees. I'm king of the birds, I'm king of the bees, I'm king of the butterflies, king of the air. Ah, me, what a throne, what a wonderful chair. I'm Yertle the turtle, oh, marvelous me. I am ruler of all that I can see. Then again from below, in the great heavy stack, came a groan from that plain little turtle named Mac. Your majesty, please, I don't like to complain, but down here below, we are feeling great pain. We turtles can't stand it, our shells will all crack. 
Besides, we need food. We are starving, groaned Mac. You hush up your mouth, howled the mighty King Yertle. You've no right to talk to the world's highest turtle. I rule from the clouds over land, over sea. There's nothing, no nothing that's higher than me. But while he was shouting, he saw with surprise that the moon of the evening was starting to rise. What's that? snorted Yertle. Say, what is that thing that dares to be higher than Yertle the king? I shall not allow it. I'll go higher still. I'll build my throne higher. I can and I will. I'll call more turtles. I'll stack them to heaven. I'll need about 5,607. But as Yertle the turtle king lifted his hand and started the order to give the command, that plain little turtle below in the stack, that plain little turtle whose name was just Mac, decided he'd had enough, and he had. And that plain little turtle got a little bit mad. And that plain little Mac did a plain little thing. He burped. And his burp shook the throne of the king. And Yertle the turtle, the king of the trees, the king of the air, the birds and the bees, the king of the house, a mule and a, a cow, well, that was the end of the turtle king's rule. For Yertle, the king of Solomon's son, fell from his high throne and fell plunk in the pond. And today, that great Yertle, that marvelous he, is king of the mud. That is all he can see. Let me read to you about a different king. Have the same attitude and mind as Christ Jesus had, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. In Philippians 2, we get the cosmic backstory of the Christmas narrative. Isaiah prophesied that this child to be born, among other things, would be called Mighty God. And that Mighty God has come to us in the form of a human and as a servant and gave himself up for us. And verse 5 is very, very clear about his instructions to us. He says, Have the same attitude and mind that Christ Jesus had. If you're going to experience God's power, that mighty God power in your life, there's only one way to experience that. The only way to do that is to have that same attitude as that of Jesus Christ. I want to talk this morning and unpack this idea of our mighty God. And what does that mean for you and me today? How do you experience God's power in your life? How do you go through this process? And there's some very, very specific steps that we're given in Scripture. The first is you've got to be able to admit, you've got a kingdom problem. <laughs> you and I have a kingdom problem. Isaiah 9, verse 6 is very, very clear. The government will be on His shoulders. The problem is that most of us are too busy building our little K kingdoms. Human history is replete 
with yurtles. <laughs> at the time of Jesus' birth, there was a Roman emperor at the highest extent of the Roman Empire. His name was Caesar Augustus. He chose that name, Augustus. He was a very august person. And he sent out a decree that the whole world would be taxed. He's in charge. He has full rule. He says what everybody else has to do. And so he sent out a decree that the whole world would be taxed. And in that whole world was a young couple by the name of Joseph and Mary who, because of this king's decree, made a journey to a town named Bethlehem, which they did not live in, by the way. But in fulfillment of God's plan, the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem of Judea. This great august Caesar had all kinds of rule, but God was working out his plan. Also at the time of Jesus' birth was another king, the king of the Judean world. He was under the Roman rule. His name was Herod. Not just Herod. He was Herod the Great. <laughs> and Herod the Great was a ruthless ruler, ten times worse than Saddam Hussein. He was so intent on keeping his rule that he actually had killed his wife and two of his sons because they might take over his throne. Herod the Yertle. Yertle Augustus. All building their little K kingdoms. And yet God was still in control. And the problem is there's a little bit of yurtle in every one of us. We have this illusion of control. We want to be in charge. We want things to be done our way. My way. In my timetable. According to my plans and my directives. And every one of us had this little K-kingdom, yurtle-type rule in every one of us. And we are looking for life to be as we want it to be. We all have a kingdom problem. And one of the best indicators that you've got a kingdom problem is when you start to get upset. Because usually your frustration and your getting upset has to do with things not going your way. And you've got a little K-kingdom problem. And I've got a little K-kingdom problem. See, in this whole building project that we've been on and finally move into our new building, when it came down to it and wanted to get open before Christmas this year, um, you know, something's had to be put on the back burner. We put a big emphasis on getting the main building done and the kids and the, the youth buildings done. And the thing that has not been let yet done is our offices. So for about the last month and a half now, every one of us staff members are living out of our offices at home. And all of my stuff, all of my books, all of my study material is in boxes in my garage. I don't like that. It's very frustrating to try and prepare a sermon when you can't get any of your resources. It's uncomfortable to me. It's frustrating to me. I get a little ticked sometimes at it. Because life isn't working out the way that I want. I want to be in my office. I want to have all my books. I want to have the photocopier readily available to me. I want things the way I want them. And God is saying to me, Ken... You're not in control. <laughs> and this isn't going to happen in your timetable and according to your wishes. And that, by the way, is a good lesson for the rest of your life. See, we all have this kingdom problem. And the thing is, you don't need God's power in your life for your little kingdom. You can build your own little kingdom just fine by yourself. 
In fact, very often, building your own little kingdom stands in direct opposition to what God is doing. Caesar had plans. King Herod had plans. Mary and Joseph had plans. This was not what they had in mind. And yet, God messed up their plans to do something far greater. And so he came to a young virgin named Mary who was pledged to be married to a man named Joseph and was told, you are going to give birth to the Messiah. But God, that's not what I had in mind. Those weren't my plans. I was going to marry Joseph and we were going to settle down in a nice little three-bedroom house with a white picket fence and Christmas lights at Christmas time on the outside. I want life to be comfortable. And to Joseph, he comes and says, the woman that you are engaged to is pregnant. But you go ahead and marry her anyway because God is doing something. But God, that's not what I had in mind. I had plans for my life. I got a carpentry business. I'm just getting started. And I need my wife to help do the books. I can't have her messing with some kid that's not even my own. And by the way, what's with all of that? Do you realize what a laughingstock I am going to be? Because if I go ahead and marry her, what I am admitting is that I have been fooling around before I should have. Do you realize the rumors that are going to go through the village because of that? Do you realize what I'm going to have to put up with for the rest of my life because of that? We all have our own little kingdoms. And when God messes up your plans... It's usually because he's got something better in mind. And so he instructs us in Philippians 2, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That's what it means to give up your kingdom. Value others above yourselves. Now, I went this week and I found my resources and I got out my Greek and did all my study through lexicon. And you know what that sentence means in Greek? Value others above yourselves. That's what it means. Just simply putting other people above your own. It disciplines you to quit building your little kingdom. It gives God a chance. It's letting go of control. And that is sometimes frightening. But we're told in the scripture, God opposes the proud. Gives grace to the humble. Because the proud are too busy building their own little kingdoms. Grace comes to those who admit, I'm not in control. And I got this kingdom problem. And so, frightened as she might be, the angel says to Mary, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great, and we call the Son of the Most High. See, the way that you experience God's power in your life is, first of all, admit you've got a kingdom problem. And then secondly, to acknowledge instead God's authority in your life. Give up control. See, in Christ, what God is doing is bringing His kingdom to bear in this world. Isaiah 9 says, The authority of His his rule will continue to grow. The peace He brings will never end. His rule will be based on what is fair and right. And the Lord's great love will make sure that this happens. God is building His kingdom. Now, it's not that God has lost control. God is God whether you acknowledge His authority in your life or not. 
He will still be in control. What he is looking for is people who will acknowledge that and get on board with what he's doing in this world. And part of what he is doing in this world is bringing about what is fair and what is right. And how to live in great love. See, in Jesus, God was making his kingdom available here and now. And so you look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, and he hangs out with the outcasts of society. And he is tender and compassionate to those who are ill. And to the lepers who no one else will touch, he reaches out with a healing touch. And to the women that nobody else has time for, he sits down and has a conversation. And for the disenfranchised and the marginalized of his time, he dealt with love and what was fair and what was right. And he said, this is what the kingdom of God is about. When John the Baptist was in prison and he was wondering about his own ministry and about Jesus and he said, he sent some of his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one that was promised or should we expect somebody else? And what did Jesus say back to them? Go back and tell John that the sick are being healed, that the blind are given sight. God's kingdom is coming to this world. And you and I become a part of that kingdom when we are willing to relinquish control of our own lives and settle for what God has for our lives. One of my favorite movies of all time is The Princess Bride. And uh, in The Princess Bride, there is young Wesley. And, and young Wesley is in love with this, this Princess Bride. And there's one line that he repeats over and over and over again. She tells him to do something, and his simple response is always, as you wish. As you wish. Life under God's authority. Saying with every aspect of my being, Lord, as you wish. Not my will, but yours be done. That type of living takes a power beyond our own. It's taking on the kingdom of God as Jesus did. Philippians 2. Have the same attitude of mind that Christ Jesus had, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. It is relinquishing authority. It's yielding my rights and my my will and, and my way of doing things to what God would want to do. And those who experience God's power are always those who have been willing to put themselves under His authority. That's the kind of living you need God's power for. If you're going to bring His kingdom, you learn to live under His authority. That takes power beyond yourself. And Mary's the perfect example. She responded, I am the Lord's servant. I am willing to accept whatever He wants. May everything you have said come true whatever it is Lord that's what I want for my life relinquishing control and then with that begin to act in obedience because sooner or later that's what it comes down to it ultimately comes down to action it's acknowledging I've got a kingdom problem it's admitting I've got to give up that kingdom for, for your kingdom's sake it's relinquishing control and authority over my life to what God would do with my life but ultimately, it still comes down to action. It still comes down to behavior. It's acting in obedience. Jesus is the perfect example. Being found in appearance as a man, Philippians 2 says, He humbled Himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. 
See, the big part of Christ's incarnation in this world was all about obedience. Demonstrating obedience. Learning obedience, in fact. Hebrews 5 says, Jesus, son though he was, learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. It's all about obedience. God, creator God, becomes a helpless little baby. And as a young child, he has to learn obedience, something God has never had to do in all eternity. He has to learn to share his toys with his brothers and sisters. And as he grows up in that family as a young child, he has to learn obedience and take on some of the chores of the household responsibilities. And as a teenager, he has to learn obedience to his parents' curfew. And as an adult, the last night of his life on this earth, he prayed, not my will, Lord, yours be done. It all comes down to obedience, folks. To experience the power of God in your life is to relinquish control and say, Lord, I'm going to do it your way. I'm going to follow your path. I'm going to live in obedience to your word. I'm going to bring about your kingdom in this world by giving of myself for the benefit of others. You see, obedience ultimately is an act of faith. It's trusting God in spite of circumstances. It's truly believing in His goodness and a willingness to trust Him no matter what. It's the ability to take my hands off the controls of my life and say, Lord, You are in control. And that takes great faith. Mary demonstrated that kind of obedience and faith. And through her, the world was changed. Joseph chose despite all the rumors and all that would happen because of it, to obey in spite of the circumstances and through Him to be a part of God's kingdom of coming to this world. And we're told in Matthew 1 that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Simple act of obedience. And that's what it comes down to for you and me on a regular basis. Every day we are faced multiple times with choices between my kingdom and God's kingdom. My little K, his big K. <laughs> because as long as you keep pursuing your little K kingdom, somewhere along the line, someone's going to burp. And you are going to be left with nothing more than king of the mud. Because that's all you can see. 1 John 3 says, We have confidence before God and receive from Him anything we ask because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. Dallas Willard writes, Grace is opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. Life transformation does not happen by information alone. It is in the practical outworking and experience of the power of God in my life every day. And each and every day to get up in the morning and to say, Lord, today is your day. May your kingdom come as you wish in my life today. Would you bow your heads with me?
if you truly want to experience the power of God in your life. The Bible makes it very, very clear. You got to start with admitting you got a kingdom problem. Lord, I want things to be done my way, in my time, with my comfort in mind. I want it all for me. That is my default position. That's where it starts, admitting that. But then by a conscious decision, relinquishing control. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. You have been struggling with something for so long and trying to make it all work, and it's not happening. Maybe it's just time to let go. That's a scary thing. To take your hands off the control of your life. Because if you don't do it, who will? When you surrender and relinquish control to God. Say, Lord, you order my days. You give me eyes to see the way you see. Lord, make me a part of your kingdom in this world. May my life carry the ring of truth so that the words are matched up with my actions and behavior. Lord, through me, make a difference in this world. In my little corner, my little part of your kingdom, I give up control. And then, by your power, Lord, work through me. God can do incredible things through ordinary people who are simply willing to be obedient. Joseph and Mary are the perfect example. I'm going to invite you this morning. Let go of control. Lord Jesus, your example is all that needs to be said. You didn't hold on to or grasp or use to your advantage all the power that you had. Rather, you emptied yourself, became a man, and lived among us, learned obedience, was faithful and obedient even to death. To think that I might be able to do that is a little scary. It's tough to let go of the controls. But I acknowledge this morning, I've got a kingdom problem. And in truth, it's really not working out for me. So this morning, I give up control. I make a choice to put my life fully in your hands. I'm deciding today that I'm going to live in your power and your strength in obedience to your directives. And in that, Lord, may I find your power, your life transformation at work in my own life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.